Hello and welcome to the ACA Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting. If you would like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org and click on online meetings and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm happy to welcome our speaker tonight, Bill W. from Tustin, California. Hello, everyone. Hello, family. Hello. I'm, hello. I'm Bill. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an adult child. Yes, I look pretty good for founding AA, don't I? Yes. Uh, uh, I have to say, uh, before I got into recovery, I used to see those bumper stickers that said, uh, friend of Bill W., and I'd always go, I don't know you. <laughs> it's like, so I uh, did not know I had a famous name till I got into recovery, but uh, it's, it's good to be here tonight. Uh, uh, I went to my first uh, ACA meeting in uh, 1988. Uh, so I guess you'd say I'm a grizzled veteran of, uh, I did not know to Tony A. So, uh, uh, but uh, I was in Southern California. California. We had a very active group back in 1988. Uh, I started going to another 12-step program. Uh, let me back up a little bit. In 1988, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. And uh, if you're familiar, probably a number of you were not even born in 1988. But uh, around that time, uh, Codependent No More came out uh, by Melody Beattie. Uh, it was a best-selling book uh, back when it was was hip to be codependent. I think, uh, you know, it was like the cool term codependent. Uh, and my girlfriend at the time that I lived with uh, had read that book and uh, I had not. Uh, and I remember one day her saying to me that she was codependent and she felt that I was codependent. And um, being a codependent person, I obviously agreed with her even though I did not know what codependency was. So I think that is the the sign that you're codependent. If you someone calls you codependent and you say, obviously I am, and you don't know what it is, you're codependent. So I passed the first codependency test. Uh, and she, she suggested that we attend, uh, I had not been to any 12-step programs. Uh, I remember in college, uh, I was in a health class and uh, one of the assignments was to go to a 12-step program. And uh, I think this is the first time I, I've admitted this. So um, so you're supposed to go to a 12-step program. You're supposed to write what your experience was. Obviously, you're not supposed to you know, tell what people shared. I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I will own this right now and make my amends to the universe. I did not attend a 12-step program. I talked to my sister who was going to 12-step programs and asked her what happened. And so I made everything up. So uh, uh, first time I made amends for that, I had forgotten I had done that. So yes, I. Uh, but I've made up for it. I've gone to a lot of 12-step programs in the last 33 years. So I've, I've, I could write some things about it. Uh, so, I, so my girlfriend at the time suggested we go to Codependence Anonymous. Uh, we went to a meeting. I have absolutely no memory of that meeting other than I know that we went uh, I think, uh, as I know today, I was in disassociation. Uh, I, I, I have no memory of what happened. Um, but not too long after that, we broke up and um, I was really hurting. And um, 
I decided, as I believe today was higher power, was God shot, uh, to start going to meetings. Um, and I was attending CODA, and a lot of the people in CODA were going to ACA also. And they suggested that I attend ACA. <clears throat> and uh, technically, my parents were not alcoholic. So I like, I can't go. I'm not a, I'm not a child of an alcoholic. Uh, and obviously it was, it was included dysfunctional family family. So I started attending ACA. Uh, I would say, you know, what the, the, the thing that I look at is where was I 33 years ago when I started attending, if you met me 33 years ago, what would I be like? Uh, I was, I was not in touch with my feelings. Uh, I was, uh, I'd probably be doing uh, a joke-a-thon. I'd be a jokester. I would just be telling jokes and not, you know, one way I avoided uh, my feelings was to make a joke, joke about it and, and to deflect. Uh, so I was, all I know is that I was not, I was hurting, I was in pain, uh, but I did not know what a feeling was. In my family, uh, in particular men, we were only allowed one feeling and that was anger. And typically for us, that would go to rage. Uh, I was a middle child. Uh, I have an older brother, four years older than me, uh, sister 18 months and a younger sister, uh, four years younger than me. Uh, my father was a United Methodist pastor. Uh, I am a preacher's kid. Uh, so uh, I think other than a politician, there's no, I can't think of very many jobs that the family is involved in the in the profession of a parent as much as as a pastor we i had issues with my temper as a kid and i would break things and i remember my mother saying you know don't say anything to the people at the church don't tell them what what's going on here and so uh it was the start of pretending to be something i wasn't or pretending that everything was good and i think it's on the surface if you saw my family, you would think we were, we were, you know, we had it together, but we definitely weren't. Uh, I'll start with my mother, uh, as I jokingly or lovingly call her smother. Um, you know, it's it's actually quite serious, but uh, as I learned later in recovery into therapy, I had emotional incest with my mother. Uh, my mother looked for me for emotional support as a child. She looked at me as a surrogate husband. Um, I could not support myself emotionally, let alone my mother. Uh, and that was, we'll get into more of that as we go along. But that, if someone said to me once that you, the mother is the first person you love or the first person you, you deal with. And uh, so that, you know, my mother wanting to me to rescue her. One of the things my mother would always do is don't, don't, you know, she would say about my father, doesn't he know that bothers me? You know, as I know today, did you ever say anything to my father that, that bothered you? No, she, and, and that she expected everyone to, to read her mind or read her feelings. And so, uh, you know, that, that was modeled to me that I don't, you know, sharing your feelings, you just, you expect others just to, to know, you know, be psychic or something or mind readers. Uh, so I remember that a lot. Um, and my mother would always say, uh, you know, no one loves me. And, you know, as, as a good son, and, you, know, you know, mom, I love you. We love you. You know, I was always feeling the need to rescue my mother. 
uh, and my mother would cry and cry a lot. And I know one of the things that crying has done for me, especially in, in, in relationships, I feel triggered by someone else crying that I'm being manipulating, that crying uh, means that you know, they're trying to get me to do something. And, and then on my father's side, he was, even though he was a pastor and a lot of people uh, assume pastors are a certain way, but uh, my father was a tough guy. In fact, the small town that he came from in Kentucky, one of the women in the town said he was the last kid in that town that she expected would become a pastor. He was always getting in fights. He was always getting into trouble. Uh, and he was a very tough guy. And so with him crying, especially from a boy, was weakness. And, uh, and so from my father, there was always that. And as a young child, I, I, had, I had illnesses. Uh, I was overweight. Uh, and so a lot of ways, I believe my father felt that, you know, I was, I was not strong enough. I, I always joke that if we were Spartans, uh, I probably would have been, you know, how they, that story about they leave babies out in the cold. And if they live, then they're strong enough to be a Spartan. I probably would have been left out in the cold. Um, and so, so my mother would always say that all men want, and this is a, as a young child, I heard this, all men want is sex. All they want to do is have sex. And, uh, uh, and so as a, as a young boy, no, I'm a good boy. I don't want sex, you know? And so talk about screwing up my view of sexuality is, is just, you know, it's bad. You, you have sexual feelings, there's something wrong with you. And then throw in the God element that I was taught that God is watching you at all times. And uh, God knows when you make a mistake, God knows when you screw up and uh, there's going to be punishment for that. And so like, you know, I'm always looking over my shoulder that I'm being watched all the time. Um, and so, one of the things that happened to me, um, let me go, conflict resolution. My family, uh, my father was very sarcastic. He had a very sharp wit. He was very intelligent. He had a, he had a doctor's degree, doctor's of theology from Boston University, earned doctorate degree. He was very intelligent. Um, and he used his wit to put people down and put his children down. Um, and so conflict resolution was... Uh, we had a winner and we had a loser, and then the winner danced on the grave of the loser, and that's how we settled conflict. And my father would would look for any little things to. I mean, the dinner table was always who we're going to attack, who was going to be attacked tonight. And I would just be like, like I was hoping that I wouldn't be the victim of of the family, you know, attacking somebody next. And so with with all of that. Uh, one of the results of my childhood was disassociation, is uh, I would not be in my body a lot. Uh, I remember as a child, we had an empty field next to the house and um, I would just go and I would be walking back and forth. I think I was probably third or fourth grade, I'm not sure, maybe younger. Uh, and I would just be in my own fantasy world, uh, someplace where I couldn't be made fun of or put down or uh, some place where that I could go and 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 be safe, create my own little safe world, and and so what would happen is is that I developed a strong sense of disassociation, and uh, as I as I got older, I I would 
especially in work settings, or I would, I would not, I'd be disassociating so much that, you know, I'd be in meetings and you're not paying attention. You're, you know, you're not, people would always get mad at me all the time for not listening to what they were saying, but uh, it was hard for me to turn off that disassociation. I, I know one of the issues I have is because I've spent so little time in my body that I struggle sometimes uh, with the physical world. Uh, I drop things. Uh, actually, just a couple of days ago, I fell down the stairs. Luckily, I didn't. I didn't hurt myself too bad. I hit my knee hit the wall, and there's a big hole in the wall. Um, I feel sorry for the wall, but I feel pretty good. Um, but but that was one of the consequences of disassociation. Is I I I struggle a lot of times being, you know, I rush or I, I I'm not really used to taking my time and doing things. Uh, also, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so there was, there was mostly for me, there was mostly uh, verbal abuse. There was some physical abuse. I know my brother who was four years older got much more physical abuse than I did. My mother would tell me, and again, this is my mother from my mother's source, but I, but I believe it. She said that, I don't know what my brother did. He was probably about three or four years old. He did something and my father was so angry at him uh, that according to my mother, he almost beat him to death, uh, that if my mother didn't uh, stop him, he would have killed my older brother. Uh, so I know my older brother got much more uh, physical abuse than I do, but there was definitely the, the verbal abuse. Again, always, we were always putting people down. We were better than other people. Uh, and, and that was the pattern that I learned. Uh, just a second here, let me just, okay, another thing that, um, that uh, so there is like the overt stuff, but there was also the the uh, neglect. Uh, one of the things that um, a lot of my memories as a child, I don't really have. I have more memories of things that happened around high school when I was in high school. Uh, and one of the things I remember is um, a really grave example of neglect is we, my parents were fighting all the time. Uh, and uh, we just, my parents were not available for us. My father was a pastor. My younger, my sister is four years younger than me. And so in high school, she was like 13 or 14 years old. Her boyfriend lived with us. Uh, I accidentally one night walked in her bedroom and, and she was having sex with her boyfriend and she's 13 years old and my father was a pastor. Uh, we also had, we had cockroaches talk about neglect and my parents did nothing about it. And I don't know if you've ever had cockroaches, it's just like a horror film. Um, we had billions of, I mean, they just, if you don't do anything about it, they just, I mean, I would be laying in bed and cockroaches would be laying on me, uh, you know, would be on me and the, the cat food and just nothing was done about it. We moved. That's how we dealt with cockroaches. We did, my parents did nothing about that. Uh, one of the things also as a child, um, I dealt with a lot of bullying from my father. Again, I wasn't, I wasn't man enough. And I remember, uh, I think it was probably second grade or so, there was, a, there was a girl that lived across the street and uh, there was, you know, it was, I, I had no romantic feelings. I was a young, I was a young child but she was somebody that was safe and I would play with her. But then 
my family would tease me. Oh, Billy's got a girlfriend. Blah, blah. And, you know, she was she was someone safe for me that that didn't. That it, and so I stopped going across the street to see her because I was getting I was getting attacked so much for Billy has a has a girl. I didn't even even understand what that meant as that age. Uh, but it was I guess you couldn't have friends that were of the other sex. And I remember, like I said, about high school, there was a friend I had, I knew I was on the cross country team. And uh, I spent a lot of time with his family. I basically lived at his house. Uh, that's how I got away from my family. We would, I would go on trips with my friend's family. I was like their other, their fourth child because uh, there was someone that was showing. I, I remember his father asking me questions and, and you know, because it's like a surrogate uh, family for me. Uh, and so that that was, you know, I, I went to find uh, something, love, you know, whatever you want to call it, I, you know, attention from somewhere. So one of the things that switched for me, again, I was I had a lot. I had some illnesses. I had issues speaking as a child. Um, I was overweight and around uh, around sixth or seventh grade, my father started jogging and I started jogging with my father and I started it was difficult at first, but I, I actually got into pretty good shape. And in high school, I became a, a top runner in Long Beach when I was there in high school. And I went from a C student to an A student. And I realize now today that was that was my way of getting my father's approval uh, because he was an F. Uh, he, again, had an earned doctor's degree. So I, I overnight basically became an athlete and became a, a good student. And I remember uh, in high school, I was running 10 miles a day. I was running six minute miles. I was running very fast. And I was in, a, I was in honor society and I was exhausted. I was laying on the couch watching TV. And I remember my father coming home, just screaming at me what a lazy bum I was because I was laying on the couch. And uh, as, as, as you know, as I can tell you, I was not. I was, and so that was one of the things that I always, that followed me, no matter how hard I worked, I became a workaholic that I was always a lazy bum uh, is a, a term that we use a lot in ACA is I was a human doing instead of a human being that I had to accomplish things to, to gain. And even then, I remember when I got a degree, I ended up getting a degree in electrical engineering. And I remember my father taking my mother and I out after, at my graduation and telling me how proud he was. And I'm like, like, all right, who's who took my father's body over? Like, who is who is this man telling me he was proud of me? I I could not remember him ever saying that to me. And I found out later a lot of times he would brag about me, but like, why why wouldn't you say that to me? You know, I just and that was some of the things that uh, you know it always like why don't you talk to me about that? Um, okay, hold on a second here. Okay, so one of the things, again, I was talking about being bullied, and um, I'm definitely going to show my age by saying this. One of my heroes as a child was John Wayne. John Wayne was my hero as a child, uh, because John Wayne took no shit from anyone, right? Right? John Wayne did not back down. He, like, and, and you know, pity the fool. I know I'm mixing my metaphors. Pity the fool that you know, would you know take on John Wayne, and so I understand now why John Wayne was like. I'm a big superhero person. 
because it's like, you know, I can, I can stand up for myself. I don't have to hide. And um, I always say it's a good, it's good that I do not have superpowers because um, I mean, there's a few exceptions of shows, but most of your superpowers are, are always have the best interest in everyone. Uh, I would be cut off on the freeway and I would be flicking that car 17 miles away in the air. So it's, it's good that I don't have superpowers. Uh, but that was one of the things I was always looking. And it is something where people, again, John Wayne was there. And then later on, you know, people that in movies that could stand up, you know, I love the Jedi, you know, you know, they're always like very loving. And then they pull out their lightsaber and cut your head off. Uh, uh, you know, that was just be able to have those powers where I could stand up for myself and, and not, and not be attacked. And so, Unfortunately, as as a lot of times with abuse, uh, being bullied, uh, I would be, I became a bully. I became uh, I got a lot of training in how to be talks uh, sarcastic, uh, being able to look at what again. One of the things my family would do, we'd look at you know what what are your triggers, what what, uh, and then then attack attack you with sarcasm. And I know that that was what I became. I became one of those people and, um, you know, getting into recovery and just realizing, you know, that I continued that abuse, uh, you know, that I was in my, and that's, that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of ways I'm making living amends to that. Um, so I got into recovery and, uh, I started going to meetings and, um, started, you know, what's a feeling? What is a feeling? I don't know what a feeling is. You know, I just know feelings make me really uncomfortable. And, um, and I know so, like, so, like that relationship I was in when I got into recovery, any, any, if I would feel sadness or, or feel, it always go into anger and it'd go into rage because again, uh, you know, men, boys, males did not have feelings. And so in recovery, I learned um, to feel my feelings. It did not happen overnight. Uh, and I'm still, it's still an ongoing process, feeling my feelings. You know, what is, what am I feeling? I, I was, I was telling Adam just before he started, I recently just realized that the secret of life or the secret of recovery is breathe. Breathe, breathe, you know, don't react. What is going on? What is happening inside of me? What is, what's happening around me? Uh, breathe, but it doesn't have to happen that millisecond. You know, it doesn't, I don't have to react to, to situations because typically when I do, bad things happen. And so um, I, I play this little game with myself what is the trigger? <laughs> what is what is triggering me right now? Where is it coming from? You know, uh, people can unintentionally trigger me by certain things. Is it really about them, or is it about something in in my childhood? Is it something in a relationship? Uh, where is this trigger coming from? And so, breathe. What's going on? Do I have to? I can take my time. I don't have to react. I can try, I can try, I can work on understanding what's going on with me. I know 
one of the things that I've I've learned in recovery is like there's people I've met people, and maybe at first I didn't particularly like them, but what I realized later it was something maybe they did that triggered me about something else, triggered me about my father, triggered me about my mother, my my family, and some of my best friends were people I weren't necessarily liked, but but I was able to process that and understand like why am I being triggered right now. Um, okay, so I, I was talking about disassociation. Well, well, how did I work through disassociation? Uh, and so it's very important for me to be present. I can, I can disassociate within a millisecond. I can disassociate while I'm talking. I could be, I could be talking right now and not be in my body. Um, and so one of the things that I do is what, what is happening in the room? You know, like I see my fan right there. It's a Honeywell fan. My TV is an LG, you know, just what is going on? What, if someone's talking, what are they saying? What are they talking about? You know, I teach, I teach and I, it's very important for me to be there, be present for my students. And again, just so she can happen in a second and then I can, I can disappear and like what, what, what just happened or what, what's going on. And so I'm much more present than I used to be. Um, and one of the things too is again is, uh, you know, relationships. I, I remember in another program that I was in, I said to, I said to my sponsor, one of the first time I met my sponsor in that program, I said, I'm attracted to unavailable people. And he said to me, that's because you're emotionally unavailable. It's like, I hate when you do that. I hate it. You know, and it's true. I, I, if I want emotionally available people in my life, I need to become emotionally available. And, and so, uh, you know, that's been very important for me. You know, what is that? Again, what's the trigger game? What am I being triggered? What, what am I really feeling? Am I being fair to someone or is it because they're triggering me in a certain way? Uh, also, I have a big thing about control issues. Like I, in relationships, so it's like, all right, I, I wrote your lines already and all you have to do is read the lines that I wrote for you. Uh, okay, there's no improv in this movie. You just, just read the lines that I wrote for you. Uh, and so that's control, right? I want, I want you to be in a certain way uh, because chaos is scary, is uh, I need to be perfect to be loved. And so why am I in ACA? I'm in ACA because my childhood trauma affects me today. And so I hear sometimes with other programs, uh, a perception that uh, ACA it's just whiny crybabies, you know, uh, and and I, my thought is always, you haven't been in touch, you're not in touch with your trauma, your childhood trauma, that's, that's why you say that. Uh, <laughs> if you're in touch with your childhood trauma, trauma you would understand that. Uh, and so it's important, I've tried most of my life to avoid uh, the trauma that I've had in my childhood. I've, I've, I've worked that angle, okay? And I can tell you, it, it doesn't work, okay? I've done everything I can with addiction, with whatever, uh, to avoid dealing with my childhood trauma. It, it doesn't work for me, okay? So I have to go through it. I have to deal, it, deal with it. And understanding my relationship with my mother, uh, my parents, 
you know, how I was raised. Uh, it's very important for me to understand that. Then, then I can, for me, I can make some changes in my life uh, to be available, to be emotionally available. But I just have to understand first why I'm not emotionally available because it wasn't safe to put myself out there because uh, in my family, if you showed any weakness, there was like a, a line of attack there. And so um, what's a boundary? Like, I, I don't know, what is, what is a boundary? Uh, relationships, you know, um, I've done a really, I think I've done a really decent job in, in my personal life in the sense on who I allowed uh, to, to how they treat me and uh, you know, how, how I'm allowed to, uh, to be treated. I think I've done a decent job, but I realized at some point there was still someone that was abusing me in my life. And that was myself. I was still in the, in the equation. I was still abusing myself. Uh, and so I always say I would never be friends with anyone that talked to me the way that I talked to myself. And so what do I do to change that? And so for me, uh, the result of my childhood trauma is self-hatred. And so how do I change? How do I move from self-hatred to love? Well, there's a number of things I do is self-care. Self-care, um, eating right, exercise, um, being able to, you know, my fear of abandonment. How do I deal with that? Uh, I talk about it. I... I do outreach calls with people in recovery. Uh, I go to meetings. I'm in a program where we do, I'm a single person. I'm in a program where we do what, what is called sober dating. Uh, I used to joke that my dating, that, uh, that it was neither sober or dating. I just would hook up with people. Uh, I would take hostages. They would take host I would be taken hostage. Uh, and so I'm learning to get to know people first you know, uh, typically you smile at me and uh, I planned our life together. Uh, and so I've been really working at that is like what, getting to know people, getting, how, how's trust built? Trust is built getting to know someone. Uh, what are my triggers? What do I do to sabotage relationships? Uh, the one thing about, one of the things I learned is, is my attraction to unavailable people is because an unavailable person could never smother me like uh, the issues that I had with my mother. And so, okay, well, that's, that's an important thing to know. Again, what knowing my childhood trauma helps me today to make changes. And so understanding that, uh, you know, uh, we're, okay, 30 minutes. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a recovering perfectionist, so, uh, I don't believe, I, I don't drink, but if there was a drinking game, I was going to see how many times I apologized during this. And as far as I know, I haven't yet. <laughs> so that, because uh, I, I always joke that my middle name was sorry. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, like, you just met me, but I'm, I'm you know, I, and I realized that, you know, we talk about shame a lot in ACA. I had, I had shame that I existed, you know, that I was, I'm sorry, 
I'm breathing in front of you, I'm alive. Uh, that was the, sh the shame that I had, that I'm sorry. And so uh, it's really important for me. So I'm, you know, speaking tonight, I'm letting go of that perfectionism as like in, in some just letting, you know, does it have to be perfect? Does, do I have to follow my talking points perfectly? It's, it's not important, it's not important. And, and so using kind of the spiritual background I have, let the spirit speak through me and that's, that's important. Uh, I do wanna talk a little bit about higher power. Uh, I was, it's interesting, I, I, I love speaking because it really gets me to think about things. And I've been doing a lot of speaking lately and I realized that I haven't really talked a lot about higher power. And partly because, you know, everyone has a different view of that. And being a people pleaser, I don't want to say anything that may upset someone because maybe my higher power view is different than someone else. So a lot of that is 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 uh, people pleasing. Uh, but I can say as a child, and uh, my view of God, again, was when I'm down, God kicks me, you know, say you screwed up. You, the, my view of God and higher power today is when I'm down, I get a hand, a hand. A hand. And you know, part of the part of self-care is is asking for help. Uh, a few years back, um, one of the issues that I've had is 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 money. And um, my mother, when my mother passed away uh, back in 2013, uh, she left me over six figures of money. And within three years, I spent every dime of that. And uh, I was very close to living in my car. And um, uh, I was, it was, a, it was a weekend and I had no money. I had no money for food. Uh, I, I remember being in Whole Foods and uh, if you know, they have like the candy displays there. And when nobody was looking, I would take, I'd take like a candy and eat it. Uh, and I, and I realized, you know, I've been in recovery for a while and I'm like, I have all, the, I have these people that love me in recovery. I have, I have resources. And so this is not, you know, where I wanted to be. And so, but I have these people, all I have to do is ask. And I did, I started asking for help. I got a place to live. Uh, I eventually was able to get a job and because uh, you know, I looked at it as, you know, uh, I'm, I'm mooching off other people and just the perception that I had. And, and uh, so I know part of self, part of self love is asking for help and it's so difficult, but I, I, it profoundly changed me to be able to ask, to ask for help. And it really, uh, it's still difficult, but it it is part of my arsenal of self care is is eating better. And I, I don't know if anyone knows, but there's been this kind of pandemic thing that's happened last year. I don't know if I'm, anyone knows about that. Uh, and so I put on thirty pounds in the last year. I guess watching uh, you know binge watching can can put weight on, uh, and and my job. When on, I went on furlough and, it, and I really dealt with a lot of uh, loneliness 
and feelings of abandonment. And, and I had a friend tell me that that really helped, but that loneliness was, was an illusion. And all I had to do is reach out to others. And it, you know, and it, and it really was important for me to know that because it's easy for me to go into uh, the self-pity that I'm not lovable. You know, why would anyone want to talk to me? And to be able to do that, to reach out and to ask for help, like, and guess what? I found like there's other people that were lonely too. You know, it wasn't just me that there was others that, that needed outreach also that I was able and, and that, you know, it was win-win for us that we were able to do that. Uh, I remember a couple of years back, uh, I was dealing with a relationship that ended and, and I felt really like she abandoned me and she ghosted me and she did this, she did that to me. And at some point I realized, I don't know if someone told me or I realized in a meeting, but it was one of those aha moments that, that, that what, what was not important that she abandoned me, but that, that I had abandoned myself and, and that, I, that I had abandoned my higher power, that it really wasn't about her I had given my power over to her to rescue me. And it was about me abandoning me. And so I needed to go and, and again, ask for help, uh, go to meetings, go read the Red Book, you know, be able to say, hey, this is what's going on with me. And it just, uh, you know, there's a famous saying in, in, in 12 Steps that don't, don't leave before the miracle happens. And... Uh, you know, there's been a number of miracles that have happened for me, and uh, and it just has been about me being willing to ask for help, to to surrender, to be able to allow those miracles to happen, and um, it's it's been very important to me. I'm going to look at my notes. I'm going to give up my perfectionism by looking at my notes. So, da -da. I'm doing like background music da, 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 while I'm looking at my notes. Uh, oh, very good. Okay. All right. Wow. Not too bad. Boundaries. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, fear of abandonment. Yes. Disassociation. Breathe. Yes, I breathe. Oh, okay. I know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, again, one of one of the things that the, the that I've gotten from my childhood trauma is is uh, is, is my temper is in a lot of it is anxiety, uh, is depression, uh, is again, breathing, you know, what is going on that reacting to situations. And I think it's that powerless feeling that, that, that I can get. Uh, and so I know that I'm, I'm, you know, one of the things I'm really working on is affirmations. And it's been so important for me that my software defaults to negative comments towards myself. So uh, I have an engineering background. So I, I like, like engineering analogies. So my default software is, is negative thoughts about myself. And so that I need to replace those negative thoughts with affirmations. Again, eating better. Uh, one of the things you know that really have saved me during the pandemic is walking. Uh, I'm lucky that I live in Southern California. It's beautiful weather. Being able to get outside, 
but um, you know, be able to. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm I've kind of lost my place here. Uh, okay, see, this is what happens when you disassociate when you're talking. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, okay. I apologize. Yep. See there. All right. That, if this was a drinking game. I just, I just apologized. All right. Okay. So affirmations. That's where I was. Okay. I see. It brought it. I brought it back. Got it back. Uh, affirmations. Thank you. Thank you for applause there. Very good. There you go. See, I see. I recovered from my momentary uh, disassociation. Affirmations. That's what I was talking about. Okay. So I affirm. I affirm myself. Uh, what can I say? Uh, you know, we have like lists of beautiful affirmations that we can say. Uh, a lot of times what I found what works best with affirmations is in the moment. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm particularly, something happens and I'm beating that crap out of myself, uh, I find that to be one of the best times to do affirmations. Uh, and so just, you know, what am I saying about myself? Okay, let's let's change that. What am I saying about me? I'm a beautiful child of God. Uh, you know, what can I say? I am not lazy. I'm tired because I'm overworked. I am not lazy. I need rest because I've I've worked too hard. I am not, you know, so I, I do affirmations as things are coming up and uh, look in the mirror. Uh, one of the things that I do that I find to be very uncomfortable, but uh, I've gotten better at it. I'll look in the mirror, usually the first time go, hi, handsome, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> like, but you know, it, 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 it works. It works. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up and uh, I, I want to, I want to end with uh, something. I'm, I'm not sure where the source of this is, uh, but I saw this in a meme. You know, this this is the world we live in. We live with memes. And uh, I found this meme and I love it. And um, let me read it to you. To love is to risk. Therefore, to love is to be brave. Let me read that again. To love is to risk. Therefore, to love is to be brave. Loving is scary. It's scary stuff. Put myself out there. I could be attacked. But, you know, the alternative is fear, is self-hatred. So today, I choose to be brave. I choose to love. One day at a time. Progress, not perfection. Thank you. My name was Bill W., and that's my time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tina. Thanks, Bill. 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 Good job, Bill. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Love you, Bill. Love you. Good job, handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Love ya.